appreciate y'all. Um, before we get in, if you haven't grabbed a, a COVID-style communion cup from the back, we will be taking the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today. So if you haven't grabbed one, um, they're all across the back back there, so you can run back there and grab one real quick. I hadn't said anything about this because, honestly, he's kind of like me and doesn't like any recognition, but excuse me. But I'd like to tell Brett thank you uh, in front of everybody. He's kind of just taking the reins and taking a lot off of my plate and uh, just stepped up and served, and we sure appreciate you, Brett. Uh, so we'll be looking at the essential traits of the church this morning. Is it dead, Tressie? Or is it good? It's not open up here. What'd you do? <laughs> Did you click the, the message first? Making noise, it doesn't like you. There it goes. Cool. Technology. Love it. Essential traits of the church. We're looking at our seventh trait this morning. We're looking at ordinances, which is a weird word, um, but most of you know what that means. But we're going to dig into that this morning. Uh, those will be the two places that we will be the bulk of the time. We'll look at a lot of scripture this morning, um, but I'll have it all up here for you. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back of the pew. And if you don't have one personally, if you just don't have one at all, please take that with you and let that be our gift to you this morning. Excuse me. So we've been looking at essential traits of the church. This is what things we should be doing often. Real quick, not going to spend a lot of time refreshing. If you missed one, you want to go back and listen, please do. But the traits we've looked at so far are preach and teach God's word, evangelism, who do you say Jesus is, and sharing that truth, discipleship, learning how to one another, one another, prayer, communicating with God, the communication that connects our inability with his ability, giving as an act of worship, giving as an act of I don't worship money, I worship God. Uh, and then the last thing we looked at last week was membership, that being part of a local church is scripturally expected and it is essential to the proper functioning of the church body. So those are the things we've looked at so far. If you'd like that information, you missed it, go back and they're on the on the website, fbcdan.com, and you can get those. So we're looking at ordinances this morning, and we'll be in Acts 2 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So what is an ordinance? All that is is a prescribed practice. It's all the word means, a prescribed practice. It's a practice given by God that we are to do, something that we're supposed to do. God has given it to us. That's what we're looking at, okay? It's, uh, it's, it's an important aspect of being a New Testament church of God is to observe the ordinances that he has given us. So what are they? There are two. Two ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion, whichever one you want to call it. Two things that all believers should do. Two rituals, two ceremonies, two practices that should be done and that should be celebrated. That's the two things we're looking at today, the two ordinances of the church. So the first thing is baptism. We're looking in Acts 2. This is right at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. So they've been in the upper room, they're praying, waiting for something to happen. The Holy Spirit shows up, and they start preaching. And at the end of this message, people get saved. And so we're jumping in right at the end of Peter's sermon, where he has just said one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, just because of the gall that it took to say it the way he said it. Obviously, it was the Spirit working through him. He said, 
And this Jesus, whom you crucified, all the people listening, all the Jewish audience listening, whom you crucified, is the Messiah. That's what he's just said. Then we're digging in, jumping in there on verse 37. When they heard this, what Peter had just said, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Verse 38, Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So, be baptized. Be baptized. That's our first ordinance. It's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout the New Testament. Uh, This is just an easy place to start, to pick out uh, one of the places that baptism is talked about. Now, first thing... I know many of you know this, but you can't not say this because there's a big, big misconception out there. Uh, I actually had a conversation about this through social media last week with a couple of guys who are in a different denomination that believe exactly opposite of what I'm about to say, although I think this is correct. I think it's scripturally correct. Baptism is not for salvation. It is not for salvation. It is not faith in Christ and do something. It's faith in Christ alone. We either believe that or we don't. Now, baptism is an act of obedience, but it is not for salvation. The Greek word there, when you look in that verse, in verse 38, when it says, for the forgiveness of sins, there's a Greek word there, it's, it's is, which would be like our is, it's, it's on account of, or on the basis of. So, in, in the Greek, it's, it's saying, baptism is on the account of, or on the basis of, your repentance. Okay, so in the English, you can get... You can read that and go, well, you must repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. No, you repent, and on the basis of your repentance, on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ, you get baptized on account of that belief. It's faith in Christ alone, period, end of discussion. And all you have to do is go a few chapters later, Acts chapter 10, and you can see uh, where before baptism takes place, there's the gift of the Holy Spirit that takes place with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. You can go check me on that. Don't, don't believe everything I say. Go check it in the Word. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. They believed, they received the Holy Spirit, and then they got baptized as an act of obedience. So, if it doesn't save you, then why do it, right? That's a good question. Why baptize? Why do we baptize? Why do we get baptized as believers? Several reasons. First one is obedience. I've already hit on that. Obedience. We do it because we were told to. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Brother Clayton has actually told us this before, more than once. That word go there is not a command go, it's go, going, like as you go, where you're going. So it's not really a command. The only command there in that, in that verse is to make disciples. That's the command. He says, as you're going about your life, wherever you go, wherever I send you, wherever it happens to be, whatever you're doing, work, family, whatever, be making disciples and baptize them. We baptize because Jesus said so. We don't have to understand everything or know everything to obey something, right? You say the same thing to your kids. If you're a parent and you're raising kids, there are times when their questions are just incessant and it drives you crazy. And you just want to say, just trust me. 
just do it because I said so, because I know what I'm doing in this instance, not always. So just do it, right? Just do it. It's obedience. What else? It's identity. Getting baptized is identity. We are identifying with something. Specifically, we are identifying with Jesus. You can see here in Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. After Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, went up from the water, key, the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him, and there came a voice from heaven, This is my beloved Son, I take delight in him. Baptism is identifying with Jesus. It's an act that says everything it needs to say. When you get baptized, you're performing an act that you don't have to say words. The act is saying what you're identifying with. And I always come back to this. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If Jesus got baptized, then I'm getting baptized. If Jesus says, jump through that hoop, then we need to jump through that hoop. That's just the way it is. It's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you, and it's good enough for me. But we are identifying with him, and he set the example through baptism for us. Third thing is unity. Unity. The, 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 the bonding of the church together. It is something that we all do as believers of Jesus, as a church body. It is something that says, hey, I'm with that guy. It's like a uniform in sports, right? It tells you who you're with. Baptism is a physical act that says, I identify with this truth, and I identify with this truth with all these other people that have identified with this truth. It is about unity. Look in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. It says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. It is understood that a follower of Jesus would be baptized. It's not an act of salvation. It's an act of obedience and is understood all throughout the New Testament that anybody that followed Jesus, that placed their faith in Jesus for salvation, would just get baptized. It's understood that it would happen. An unbaptized church member is an oxymoron. It does not go together. That, that concept does not go together. You, as a church member, would be baptized, understood in Scripture, without a doubt. It doesn't say there in those Scriptures there, if you see those couple of verses, it doesn't say one baptism if you feel like it. One baptism if you want to. One baptism if you get around to it someday. One baptism but you don't really have to. It doesn't say that. It says one baptism. We are expected to get baptized. And then... Fourth, it's a proclamation. Kind of already said this, but I'm going to say it specifically. It's a proclamation. It's a proclamation of faith in Jesus. Romans 6, 3 through 4. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life or walk in a newness of life. Have I heard my preacher say that once during a baptism when I was growing up in the church that I grew up in? I heard it a million times. Buried with him in death in his likeness, raised to newness of life. 
And what a great thing. It's a proclamation. It's a pro- you're proclaiming the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. And you're proclaiming, I am a sinner. I deserve death. I am dying to myself. And I am being raised to life in Jesus. God loves me. God saved me through Jesus' sacrifice. And I have faith in that. Boom. Dunk me. That's what you're saying. I have faith in that. Dunk me. I'm showing you that I have faith in that. All right. Everybody caught up? Good deal. Number five, it's a celebration. And we've come a long way on this since I've been in this church. It used to be a, a tiny little golf clap. And the last time we baptized somebody just a couple weeks ago, there was a roar, which is the way it should be. It should be a celebration. Someone has just publicly said <laughs> that they were spiritually dead. Now they are spiritually alive. They were eternally separated. Now they are eternal, eternally joined with you and me and with God through Jesus Christ. What, is there a better celebration we could possibly have for anything in this world? It's a celebration. Colossians 2, 12 through 15. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all of us our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. He, God, triumphed over them by him. What, what a wonderful verse. Sin debt, gone. Death's power, gone. Satan, defeated. God wins. God triumphs. So we should celebrate that when somebody publicly says, hey, this is what's happened, and this is what I believe. It ought to be a celebration. I can promise you it's a celebration in heaven. Amen. So, excuse me, why do we baptize? Quote from David Platt, baptism is a physical celebration of a spiritual transformation. That's what it is. We baptize because Jesus said so. We baptize to proclaim the gospel, but ultimately it's a celebration of what has taken place on the inside, what we have placed our faith in. So, how then? A touchy subject sometimes. How do you get baptized? Is there a right way? I think there is. I think Scripture is pretty clear about it, honestly. How do you get baptized? First, the word baptizo is immerse, submerge, or dunk. Matthew 3.16, Acts 8, 38 through 39, and several other places you can see where it says they came up out of the water. How can you picture Jesus' burial unless you are buried in the water? It it's, seems obvious to me, but then again, I, I, I don't know. I'm a simple guy. It says, says that, so I'll just take it at its word. So how? You should be immersed. There's no doubt about that. What about someone that's physically unable? Well, I think we serve a God of grace. <laughs> I think we serve a God of grace. That's why you don't have to get baptized to get saved. Because then it would be up to you whether you were saved or not and your physical ability. But it's not. It's, a, it's an act of obedience. Who should get baptized? Every born-again believer. Period. Every single born-again believer in the book of Acts, every single one of them without exception was baptized. Check me. Trust me, but check me. And then when? 
as soon as you publicly can, as soon as you can publicly to celebrate with your church. It's not a private act. You can't go baptize yourself. I mean, you can, but you didn't do anything. The whole point of it is to celebrate with whoever it is that you're identifying with your local body. That's the whole point. And if you do it by yourself, then you're missing that blessing, and you're robbing your church of that blessing. As soon as you can, publicly, to celebrate with those you identify with. So why do we wait sometimes? Well, because some people want to celebrate not just with their local church family, but they want to bring in family family, right? So we try to, we try to accommodate that. But if you look in Acts, it was almost immediately upon placing faith in Jesus that people are baptized almost every place in that book. So that's baptism. That's baptism. Simple. Most of us know that, but you're welcome for the refresher for those that do. Second thing, Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. Let's dive into communion or the Lord's Supper, whichever one you like to call it. What does Paul tell us here? He's, Paul's talking to these crazy Corinthians again. Man, there's something else. I wonder if they'd say that about us if there's a letter written to us nowadays. Those crazy Arkansans. That's what I say about the Corinthians every time. Verse 17. Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, Paul says to the crazy Corinthians, since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in, and in part, I believe it, because I know your reputation, and you're a bunch of crazy Corinthians, so I believe what they're saying about you. Verse 19, there must indeed be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Verse 20, therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry, while another gets drunk crazy Corinthians, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Last verses. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment, and I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Uncle Rocky, will you uh, hit that fan right there on that switch? The people upstairs, they're sweating to death up there. I can see it. Pull some heat out of them for you. <laughs> Love y'all. Uh, <laughs> all right, so first of all, I know it's a long bunch of scripture to talk about the Lord's Supper. Let's break it down. First of all, 
The Lord's Supper is exclusive to those with faith, faith in Jesus. That is without a doubt. And it honestly, I don't know why that's ever a contentious thing. Because what you're doing is identifying and remembering the gospel. You're identifying with and remembering what Jesus has done for you. So if you haven't placed faith in that, then why would you participate in an act that remembers and identifies with that truth? So no faith in Jesus, no Lord's Supper. The price that was paid for our salvation, we are identifying with that. We are celebrating that. We are remembering that. And if you haven't experienced that, then you really shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. Now, we could chase rabbits all day long on church membership and denominations and all of that stuff. And those are conversations, I think, better left for Sunday school classrooms and Bible studies when you can really dig into that. Um, I personally don't believe that that is the case. You can show me scripture where I'm wrong, but I don't think that's the case. I think if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, then when that takes place in a church, then you should participate in the Lord's Supper. That's my personal belief. I know that some of you do not believe the same way, and I respect that. I understand that. So that's the who, believers in Jesus. What about the when? It's to be done when the church comes together. Four different verses there, and that's those, that passage we looked at right there. Four different times Paul mentions when the church is coming together. When the church is coming together. It's, it's like baptism. It's not a private thing. You can't go to your house and grab a cup and grab some bread and have the Lord's Supper. You didn't have the Lord's Supper. You ate some bread and you drank out of a cup. Okay. Now, is there exceptions to that in this time? It's not really an exception because we've done it virtually, right? We did it a few months ago when we were all online, but we were all participating in the same time, and we were doing it as an act of unity and as a celebration together. So does that mean if somebody's home today and they join us in the Lord's Supper that theirs didn't count? Of course not. It's not what it means, but it, the whole point is for us to do it together. It's another way of identifying together, and it happens when we come together. As you read through that, you can see that most of the time the church ate when it came together, and at the end of the supper, then they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And the crazy Corinthians were doing crazy things. I mean, eating too much and, and getting drunk. And can you imagine a business meeting like that? It's crazy. <laughs> They're fun enough as it is. I'd just put the cherry on the parfait. So that's the who and the when. Why do we? The first thing is, why do we not? Okay, We do not partake in the Lord's Supper to be saved. We do not do that. Okay? There's a big fancy word there on your screen, transubstantiation. Okay? I don't know if there's other denominations that, but, that believe in transubstantiation, but I know the Roman Catholic Church believes in transubstantiation when it comes to the Lord's Supper. What that means is, their belief is that the bread and the wine literally becomes, at the moment that you partake in communion, literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So in this belief, if you believe this way, to receive communion is to receive Christ, which means you're performing an act, a work to get salvation, which Scripture is clearly against. So I don't think that that is true. This adds to grace. It's God's grace, faith in Christ alone. Do we believe that or do we not? I think we do. But let's proclaim it that way. Let's make sure that we understand that that's what it is. So it's faith in Christ alone. Baptism and communion are because I got saved, not to become 
saved. So this church does not believe in transubstantiation, and I don't believe that Scripture supports that belief, although I can understand why people want a checklist of how they can be saved and things like that, but that's not the way it works. The way it's, it's a, a free gift, and it's, it's, easy, it's simpler the way God did it, but it's not easier. We're held to a higher standard. It's not something you can do. It's something that you are. So uh, why, then, do we participate in the Lord's Supper? 1 Corinthians 11, the end of 23 through 25. The Lord Jesus took bread, this is what we just read, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me of me the the act the 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 ceremonial act of the lord's supper is a continual remembrance we are remembering what god has done for us therefore we are celebrating what god has done for us and what he still will do we're remembering back to look forward we take that time and we go wow thank you lord Thank you for what you have done to me. We're looking back to what Jesus did, but we do that continually as an act to remember back so that we can look forward to our hope that is to come. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that God gave us. It's a remembrance of our hope, and our hope is Jesus Christ. <laughs> he is our living hope. It's a remembrance of that. So is there a right way to partake in the Lord's Supper? Well, obviously... Don't come here and get drunk and then partake in it like the Corinthians did. That should go without saying, but we'll go ahead and throw that out there. But yes, there is a, a right way. In that passage, he talks about the attitude of the Corinthians, not just what they had done, but also the attitude, so that you can take that and apply it to us in all circumstances. Humbly and self-examination, first thing. You don't come before God flippantly. We can come before God boldly because of Jesus Christ. We can come before God in hope, we can come before God thankful, but we don't come before God flippantly. He's God and we're not. So we come to him in humble self-examination. What do we mean by that? Reflect on your sin. Reflect on who you are. Reflect on your wickedness, on your unrighteousness, yours, mine, and everybody else's that has ever walked this planet. But don't linger there. Be led to God's forgiveness. Let your self-examination remind you of God's grace. Remind you of God's forgiveness. Remember our commitment to each other and to the mission, the mission of making disciples. When we take communion, we're, we're, we're identifying with each other. I'm part of this church, you're part of this church, and we are saying we are in this thing together. We're going to make it through this life together because of Jesus, and we're going to make disciples because Jesus told us to. And the last thing, like I already said, is to look back, to look forward. We're looking back to what happened, and we're celebrating what is to come. Jesus Christ is coming back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Now will be the, this year will be the best year ever, I think, for Jesus to come back. Let's go ahead and just get her done. So, it's a joyous celebration. It's also seriously reverent. The Lord's Supper is a reverent thing. Does that mean we have to be quiet? No, it doesn't. But that's an easy way for human beings to focus and be reverent, which is why we're usually quiet during that time. Does it mean if a kid hollers that the whole thing is ruined? Absolutely not. It reminds us that there's a beautiful child in this sanctuary, and we're happy that that is taking place. So could we clap? Absolutely. It's a celebration. Could we shout? I think so. 
Can you come before God irreverent? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's in your heart. And uh, so let's not do that. So why the ordinances? Real quick. Why the ordinances? They're a joyous celebration. And we do baptism as a physical celebration of a spiritual transformation. And we partake in the Lord's Supper as a continual remembering of what Jesus has done. And therefore the hope in what he will do. It's a celebration of good times. I like that song too. I was singing it this morning. Celebrate good times. Come on. That's what it is. It's a celebration of good times. So, if you've placed faith in Jesus Christ and never been baptized, you should. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and we're about to partake in the Lord's Supper, then you should. But you should do it reverently. You should do it with self-examination. You should come before God humbly. We're going to sing two more songs and then do it, which will give you plenty of time to come pray if you need to come pray, to uh, allow God to, to examine your heart, to take time to be in the proper heart set and the proper mindset to partake in the Lord's Supper before we do. And again, if you didn't grab a, a little COVID communion cup there in the back, I promise it's not like the one that I had back in April that had fermented. It was so old. These are fresh. These are new. Should be decently tasting grape juice. The one I had back in April had a little extra kick, and it was not very good. I threw that box away. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to pray for us. If you have something you need to pray about with someone, uh, Stuart and Dusty, if you guys will be ready for that, uh, then come up here and pray with them. And uh, if you, if you want to get saved, get saved. If you want to get baptized, we'll fill it up. It doesn't take that long. It'll be cold, but it doesn't take that long to warm it up. We'll do that. We do have two people getting baptized next Sunday. We will celebrate that together. That will be a great time. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will partake in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper after these two songs. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your sacrificial uh, act on the cross, God, of, of, of taking away our sin, God. We, we thank you that faith in you places righteousness on us, God, that our righteousness is in you and in you alone, that our salvation is faith in you and faith in you alone. But God, we thank you for the physical acts as embodied creatures that you give us to remind us and to help us identify and unify together in what you've called us to do, God. We thank you for the act of baptism. We thank you for the remembrance that the Lord's Supper brings upon our minds and on our hearts, God, and that you would fill us up again with that hope of what is to come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Please stand.